Good morning and welcome to the Coffee and Cap Rates podcast, your go-to source for New York City's latest commercial real estate insights. This program is brought to you by Ariel Property Advisors. Hi, everybody. This is Shimon Shkurem with Ariel Property Advisors. And today I have my founding partner, Victor Sozio, here with me. And together we're going to talk about the exciting multifamily market in New York City. Vic, how are you doing? I'm good, Shimon. Thank you for having me again. Of course. So we're going to talk about 2022, which has been a great year for multifamily, $16 billion of transactions. 2022 stood together with 2015 and 2016 as the best three years actually ever for multifamily. Now, the mix was different. And I think that one of the things we saw is that there were a lot less transactions in 2022 in the rent-stabilized asset class compared to 2015 and 16. But Vic, what did you see in the mix of transactions? What have you seen happening last year that you thought was super interesting? I think in general, it was a a robust year, even with the volatility in the financing markets and and macroeconomic factors playing into it in the second half of the year. It was still a very active year. To your point, free market assets were the primary target for a lot of institutional capital and the larger trades, and it accounted for a large percentage of the overall volume. In addition, what impressed me when we looked at the numbers is how deep some of these markets have become. For instance, take Brooklyn. Brooklyn hit over $3.5 billion of multifamily trades in 2022. It's actually more than it was in 2015 and 16, when it was 3.3 and 2.63 billion, respectively. What's interesting too, is if you look at those numbers in 2015, that 3.3 billion was spread out over 218 transactions. In 2022, it was over 153. And it makes sense and it jives with what we saw and witnessed in the market, where a lot of these fairly newer construction buildings, whether they were entirely free market or receiving 421A benefits and predominantly operating at market, these were the asset classes that were in high demand and trading at pretty big price tags. You look at the other markets, you can say something similar about the Bronx, although the product types that were trading there still tend to be predominantly rent stabilized or affordable with a capital A. But from a dollar volume perspective, it broke a billion dollars, which is the first time it's done that since 2018. Queens lagged a little bit in activity. And if you look at the numbers, again, the majority of those trades are rent stabilized. It was around 700 million. Northern Manhattan is an area that looks like it's continuing to find its footing or trying to find its footing after HSTPA. That was a market that was consistently producing over a billion dollars in multifamily volume from 15 to 18 and hasn't mm-hmm. sniffed a billion dollars since 2019. And this year, you could really see that in the numbers with actually less than half a billion dollars of trades. Yeah, that's incredible. You touched on some really, really good points. You, you said Brooklyn, new construction, 421A, leading the market anyway in terms of free market that's there. You said the Bronx, you actually said Upper Manhattan, suffering from HSTPA, predominantly rent-stabilized asset classes. But you know, I want to double-click on the Bronx for a second, if you don't mind. There's a lot of rent-stabilized, and we sold a bunch of them, but there's also a lot of affordable housing. Can you talk for a second about the capital that is investing that we've seen in the Bronx specifically over the past year? Sure. I would say it's fair to say that pool of capital and operators really has expanded pretty significantly over the past 
decade. And when you talk about the affordable asset class, especially affordable with a capital A, you know, those projects that were built or rehabbed with a long-term affordability in mind, that does attract a lot of mission-driven capital. In some cases, it is nonprofit capital. In other cases, it's just for-profit mission-driven capital that's willing to accept lower returns in order to deploy in this space. And that has fueled that market. And you're right, it does consist of a decent chunk of that billion dollars that has traded in 2022. But what's also interesting and and what's emerged more so over the past five to 10 years is you also have a lot of high net worth private capital that has become more familiar with the product type that has begun to build portfolios with different income and rent restrictions or tax benefits in place. And they have now emerged as good candidates for some of these projects, depending on the characteristics. And sometimes they're attracted to what amounts to be a very low basis for, in some cases, very beautiful assets and and properties. And they'll push on cap rates because they're attracted to the basis and because they're putting it into their long-term hold portfolio. I think you're absolutely right. That shows the resiliency and the attraction of New York City in a way with a very deep bench of capital, including what you just described, which is mission-driven, nonprofit, for-profit, and high net worth and family offices. And one other thing is overseas investors. I mean, I think you were as surprised as me to see several of them actually investing not just in free market, but also in rent stabilized, looking at exactly what you said, Vic, which is long-term horizon. So that was 2022. The second half, as you said, was a little bit slower. We're getting into a slower period in the first and second quarters, maybe of this year because of that. So let's talk about headwinds a little bit. What do you see as the one or two biggest challenges today in operating multifamily? What, what do we see that prevents people from diving in or the challenges that managers and, and owners operators see? I would say two obstacles that a lot of operators run into pretty consistently have to do with a very rapid and significant increase in insurance rates throughout the city, less carriers who are willing to take on these policies, um, hearing more and more often, especially when you talk about large unsprinklered elevator buildings, I'm hearing policies that exceed $2,000 a unit. And if you remember, Shimon, not that long ago, the market averages were somewhere about 500 per unit, right? About 10 years ago. And now we're talking about in excess of 2,000 a unit yep. in some cases. So it w- it's really causing a lot of turbulence in the market, so much so that you're hearing more groups at least entertain the possibility of captive insurance, which even captive insurance isn't a, a perfect solution for what's happening in the insurance markets in New York City today. So that's certainly something that I would say poses a challenge. Uh, the other one is collections, right? And if you saw recently, there was a report that came out that even NYCHA, which has historically collected over 90% of their rents in the past 12 months is at around 65%, which is amazing You know how much that has dropped off. And, and clearly NYCHA has its issues, even from a deferred maintenance perspective or from a tremendous amount of deferred maintenance, but that's a significant drop off. And we've seen that in the data as well, right? Collections are suffering across the board or in in many cases. So that's something to to keep an eye on. Um, So I would say insurance and collections, those are the most significant headwinds I see. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. The NYCHA CEO said that some folks got misinformed that they didn't have to pay, and she's talking about rent, which is very concerning. So you're absolutely right, and we're hearing the same thing, right, about the insurance, and that's been actually for years. It just took a different rise in the past year and a half or so. So these are the two challenges that we're seeing, and that's an issue. So we have to solve it. But there are opportunities, and we will speak about them too. We're seeing some great things happening. What are we seeing today and what to expect moving forward in 2023? So when you look at the market today, inventory is relatively low, right? And that happened at the end of the year. A lot of deals either traded or realized that the environment wasn't exactly perfect for them to monetize their assets. So they pulled it off the market. And if you look at what's available right now, again, it's relatively low, but that's ramping up little by little each day. We expect a lot of sizable multifamily opportunities and portfolios to hit the market towards the end of the first quarter or into the second quarter. There's a lot of evaluations or a lot of discussions going on about where values are and what right next step might be. So I do expect inventory to increase pretty significantly towards the end of the first quarter and and into the second quarter. And that will result in a, a very transactional second half of the year. And that's consistent with what you hear out there in the market, the more capital you speak to, the more you realize that there's a ton of capital still out there. They remain committed to this market and they're becoming increasingly antsy. And more so we're hearing in those discussions that they don't necessarily need to wait until the bottom of the market to execute on something. So they are starting to ramp up. The bid ask spread is starting to narrow a little bit. You know, it's still pretty wide right now because of the rapid movement in rates towards the end of 2022, but it's starting to narrow. I expect that a lot more transactions will start to be consummated at some point in the second quarter, and a lot of transactions will happen in the second half of the year. Fair enough. And I think you and I know that there are several institutions that told us they're sitting on the sidelines last year, and now as interest rates are stabilizing or even going down a bit, they feel a lot more comfortable. So that's a great point, Vic. And the last thing I wanted to discuss here is some opportunities that you think will present themselves in this market to the deep capital that's in here to invest in multifamily in any asset class. What do you think is going to be our opportunity in 2023? So we spoke about it in the past and it always feels awkward, but again, there will be some distress in the market from pending maturities. Some of these might not necessarily be outright sales or transactions, but I think there will be a need for structured financing because of the pressure coming from pending maturities, especially in the rent-stabilized asset class. But what I also am, am seeing more and more often is that there are a good amount of owners in New York that have become fatigued with operating multifamily properties in New York City, whether it's politics, whether it's struggling with collections or insurance or whatever the case might be and are motivated to transact, even though they know this is probably not the best time to do so, right? And they're probably better served to sell in a few years, but some of these decisions are being driven by lifestyle changes. And we've seen some nice long-term ownership or properties that were under long-term ownership come to market. And I think that does afford an opportunity for those that wanna pick up some properties in 2023. I also think that rates coming in at some point in the next two to four years has become a little bit easier to make. And some groups are starting to say, hey, if I can get 
a five to five and a half cap on a prime prime asset and take the risk of financing, I feel a little bit better doing it now where you know things have stabilized a little bit more than they did towards the end of 2022 or at some point in the early fourth quarter of 2022. And then lastly, I'm hopeful and cautiously optimistic that Governor Hockel's agenda to incentivize development across the state and, and in the city will also instigate some good activity of development of multifamily, you know, whether it's lifting the FAR constraints or incentivizing conversion of, of offices to residential. I think that could be exciting and, and that's something that we'll definitely be watching. Awesome. So we have uh, strong fundamentals for multifamily in general. We have some issues with mortgage resets and mortgage maturities, which can lead to opportunities, deep capital, and a housing policy that's changing where the governor and the mayor are actually speaking and trying to build more housing here in New York City. I think that's what I heard from you today, Vic. And why don't we say thank you and wrap it up and hope for a great multifamily year, at least in the second half of 2023, if not before. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Thank you. Thanks for being here.